Wow, Tammy, thank you. Not going to need this today. Going uh, classic sermon style. You're going to have to look up your verses. I've got them in the bulletin there if you want to check them out. Um, and what else is there that would be different with, a, with an old school Sunday? Traditional preaching. The preacher wears a tie again. Thank you. Don't get used to it. <laughs> got the big pulpit back up here. I'm trying to think what else. Because really, when it all boils down to it, whether it was today, or 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, or 30 years ago, we're going to preach the word of God. Amen? That's, that, that's the thing that never, ever changes, y'all. That's the thing that is always going to stay the same. It's that, that, that flower that never fades, that grass that never withers. We're talking about the word of God. And we know that when we follow the word of God, when we obey it, when we really look at it and say, what, what are we going to do with our lives? How are we going to follow him? We know that we need to be focused followers of Jesus Christ. Those that decide, we're going to say, we're going to follow Jesus, and we're going to be focused about it. We're going to take it seriously. Well, here's some of the things that I want to go over today that I believe that we need to do or have in our lives. Get a lot of ring in here, Ryan. You're probably going to have to turn this one down, buddy. Uh, a lot of, uh, that we need to do in our lives to really make sure, to ensure that we are focused followers. So stay with me today. Focus with me today. Here's something else you're going to need because this is one of the things we're going to use today for the sermon. Your hymnals. There's hymnals in front of you. And have one ready. I'll, I'll let you look up a few things here in just a minute. But first, let's say this. The church is one foundation. That's, that's an old hymn, isn't it? Uh, and I'm not going to talk about that hymn too much today, but some of the other ones I, I, I will. Uh, but that song, the church is one foundation. What is the church is one foundation? It's real simple, isn't it? Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. That's where our base must be. Uh, Matthew 7, 24 uh, says that we've got to be like a house on the rock, having our foundation, that, like, like a wise man who built his house on the rock, that firm foundation that is the Lord. Whenever Christ said he's going to build his church upon the rock, he wasn't talking about Peter. He was talking about Peter's confession. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And folks, if we have our foundation on that statement right there, on that fact, then we can be focused followers. But let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Because here's where it all boils down to, I believe. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. So we know we have to imitate God, and we have to follow the example of Christ. That says a lot right there. That means that we got to really look at how Jesus taught, how he treated people, and, and what God has really done for us. Because that's what we need to do for him, for our, our fellow people. Here's the few things I want to talk about that I really believe that we have to have to be focused followers. Number one, forgiven. Folks, are you forgiven? Are you a focused follower that you know that you are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ? At Calvary. Let's go there. This is a song about forgiveness. That's on page 138 in your hymnals if you want to look that up. And you'll 
probably see some of the things I'm talking about if you look at the words of the song. Hymn number 138 was written by William R. Newell. Now, he lived from 1868 to 1956. As a young man, William Newell was troubled. He was maybe even going down the wrong path in life. And you know how he grew up? In the church. In fact, he was a preacher's kid. Now, we all know you got to watch out for those PKs, right? Uh, I'm one, and you've got to watch out, Levi, because you're going to have that reputation, buddy. The PKs, you got to watch out for those preacher's kids. Well, this guy was the example of that, getting in trouble. And his dad was worried. He was concerned. So his dad, the preacher, started calling the uh, president of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And started to ask him, can I send my son to you? He's graduating high school. He's, he, needs to, he needs to come to college up there. He needs to, to go to the Bible Institute. He needs to learn more about God. And the president, his name was uh, Dr. Tory, said, look, we're not running a reform school. I, I, can't, I can't let him in. This place is for serious Bible students only. But after, now this isn't a phone call. These are letters corresponding back and forth between these two men. And finally, Dr. Tory agrees. He lets William Newell into a school under the condition that every single day during the week, young Mr. Newell must come into his office and they're going to have a little bit of time of mentorship, of time that they can build a relationship, of time where they can talk. And through this time, and Newell, he was, he was steady about it. He, he didn't miss an appointment. He took it seriously. He took his faith seriously at that time. And he changed. And he realized the opportunity he had. He eventually would become a, a preacher, and then a few years later would come back to the Moody Bible Institute where he would become a professor. And one day he was challenged by an, another professor to sit down and write out, in like a words and pictures kind of thing, uh, but write the words of his life, of, of what it meant for him. And he came up with the words, years in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord, knowing not my Lord was crucified, uh, that was for me he died. The words are right there in front of you. Look at him. Does it not make sense? This is a guy who had trouble, and now he realizes, oh my goodness, look where I was, and I'm forgiven through Christ Jesus our Lord. At Calvary, at Calvary. He, of course, took those words to the uh, music professor, and soon we had that song, At Calvary. Now, he, what was he doing there? He was remembering those things that he had done and how he didn't deserve the forgiveness that God was giving him. But he gave it to him anyways. That grace that God affords us is what Newell was remembering. And the more I thought about that story, the more I thought, even in my own life, or we could all have same, similar stories. Man, I used to mess up. Even after I accepted the Lord, I messed up. And I started remembering the fact that we are forgiven at Calvary through the blood of the Lamb, through the blood of Jesus. Folks, that's awesome. That is most certainly awesome. But what, what were we doing? We were remembering. We were remembering those bad things that we did. I got even better news for you. And the, this is uh, from uh, Jeremiah 31. I've got Hebrews 8:12 there. It's actually quoting Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. What does it say that God does about our wickedness, about our sins? He forgets about it. He remembers it no more. Now, you might be thinking, but God Almighty, he knows everything. He, he knows all. How can he forget? Well, let's reword it then. He chooses not to remember it. He chooses to not hold it against us. Now think about that for a second. 
Because I don't know about you all, but I don't want my past sins being held against me, especially to God. That's why, he had, that's why he's given us that reconciliation through Jesus. That's why he sent his son, so that those things can be put behind us and we can move forward with our lives. I have a hard time sometimes. We probably all do. Feel guilty about something I may or may not have done. Feel, feel guilty about a sin I had in my life. God chooses to remember it no more and not hold it against us. Now think about that, though, because how do we start? We've got to imitate God. We've got to follow the example of Christ. So we also have a responsibility then, don't we? We must also be forgiving. And when we have to imitate God, we're talking about forgiving in a way where we don't hold it against somebody. That's hard sometimes, isn't it? Now that, that can be very, very difficult. Let's look at what it says in the book of Matthew 6, 14 through 15 and 7, 2. I'm going to read them both. 6, 14 and 15. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow. Think about that for a second. Because that really puts it on us. You want to be forgiven, you have to be forgiving as well. And in 7.2, right along those same lines, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judgment is the standard by which you will be judged. Now, folks, think about that for a second. We can't hold these things against each other. If you've got somebody in your life who sinned against you 20, 30, 40 years ago, God doesn't remember that. So why do we? And even in the church, you think about this, because there's some things that we might deem that are worse than others. There's some things that can disqualify you from a lot, but God remembers them no more. So if he remembers them no more, why are we? Now think about that for a second. In your lives, in your own individual lives, we've got to be forgiving. It's not a we should be. We must be forgiving. Life's too short, y'all. We've we got to move forward. Philippians 3.13 is going to go right along these lines, too. I really like this verse posted on Facebook last night. Apostle Paul says, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. What do you, I, I focus on this, forgetting about the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, pressing on. That's what we have to do, too. That is great advice. Again, keep on keeping on. Let it go. Life's too short. Faith is too important. Folks, whatever's happened in your past, let, let it go. Leave it behind. We've got work to do. We, we've got a lot of work to do here as a church, as a body of believers. That's our responsibility. Of course, we care about those that have been here before us. We respect them. We honor them. We love them. Whether it was 5, 10, 15, 20, 111 years ago, we love them. Those are our brethren, absolutely, 100%. But you know what, guys? What we have to do here, we can't live off past success. We can't. We've got to strive towards the future. Because if we just keep looking behind us, we're going to miss out on so many opportunities to serve the Lord. You've got to forgive. You've got to forget. 
and you got to move forward. That's what focus, that is what focused followers do. And that's scripture. That's scripture. What else is a focused follower going to do? We're going to be fruitful. That, that word, let's, what, what does that mean, to be fruitful? That's the fruit of the Spirit. The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And again, that's not something that we ought to do. That's something that we must have in our lives. This song, I really, really like this story. He lives. That's page 533 if you want to look that one up. He lives by Alfred Ackley. Now, this guy, again, lived in eight, from 1887 to 1960. He was a, a songwriter as well, well as his brother and was also a, a preacher. He worked with uh, Billy Sunday and his revival movement there for, for a little while before he really went into full-time ministry. And during one of his uh, uh, small group type settings, when he was having a Bible study for, for young men, there, there was a, a Jewish boy, the story goes, that came in and had been attending these things regularly, kind of exploring who Christ actually was. And the boy one day asked, why should I worship a dead Jew? That's what he asked him about Jesus. Why should I worship a dead Jew? And Alfred Ackley, uh, legend goes that he says, I li he lives, I tell you. He lives now more than ever before. And I can prove it. I can prove it with my own experience and through the testimony of countless others. He lives within my heart. But it wasn't just that that, that Ackley thought that Jesus only lived within his heart. See, this story goes on because that was just the first part that kind of got him thinking about how to write this hymn. In Easter 1932, he had a church out towards Los Angeles, California. And that morning, uh, Easter morning, Ackley got up, was shaving his face. His wife hears him from the other room. He's listening to the radio. His wife hears him from the other room scream, It's a lie! And she came running in like, What's going on? What, what, what's happening? Well, that morning, Mr. Ackley had heard on the radio, uh, the, the radio announcer say that it was Easter morning and that it didn't matter if Jesus' body was in a tomb in Palestine or if he had actually literally risen from the grave. The fact was, he was going to follow his word anyways. And Ackley was absolutely right to say, that is a lie. It does matter. Folks, Jesus Christ lives because he literally rose from the grave. He also lives in our hearts today. And that morning, Ackley, he was fired up. You know, preachers, they can get fired up sometimes. I don't know if you all knew that or not. He got fired up, and he went, he preached that Easter morning sermon like he had never preached it before. But here's where you all don't see it anymore, because sometimes you take it home with you. And that afternoon, supposedly, Ackley took that fire home with him, and his wife knew that it was still bothering him. That this was said on the radio, that people were being led astray not to believe that Jesus Christ literally rose from the grave. And she finally said, Hey, you got to calm down, and this is the best way I know to tell you to do that. Go sit at your piano and write out the words. Write out what you're feeling. Tap it out. Write the music. And that's exactly what Ackley did, and because of that, we have the legendary hymn, He Lives. What a testimony that is about that song. These old hymns, man, there's so many that have just really good stories behind them. Make no mistake, the newer songs... And they're typically straight from Scripture. And what does the Scripture say? Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We've got to worship God in all we do. These hymns are a very good way to do it as well. We've got to have that fruit of the light. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 through 10 says this. 
Once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this fruit of the light within you produces only what is good and right and true. That's our responsibility. And why do we do that? Because he lives. That's why. What does the third verse there say? Rejoice, rejoice, O Christians. Whatever you do, you've got to represent the Lord. And that's what it says there in Colossians 3.17. Pretty similar to Ephesians 5.20 if you don't want to turn your page. We've got to be representatives of the Lord. If we aren't representing him with the fruit of the Spirit, if we're not being fruitful, we're not being very good representatives. That's a responsibility for us. That's why we have to beware of bad fruit. Back over to Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Now, I want you to really listen to this. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from a thorn bush or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. The fact is, the assurance of our salvation comes in the fruit of the Spirit. So I want you to think, do you have that? Are you, do you have a, a life that is filled with this fruit of the Spirit, this love, this joy, this peace, this patience, this kindness, this goodness, this faithfulness, this gentleness, this self-control? Are you following what is good, what is right, what is true? Do you have bad fruit? Think about that. Now, this tree that they're, they're speaking of, we can look at that as Jesus. Maybe we're those branches, and the, if we have our branches tied to his tree, we will have good fruit. But if we have bad fruit, that's dangerous. That's real dangerous. If you don't have these things in your lives, it's time to rededicate, to really look and say, Lord, i got to follow you more. i got to be more of a focused follower. Those false prophets that the verse speaks of, Oftentimes when we think of prophets, we think of some guy in a big robe with a big staff and probably a long beard walking down the road. We're not going to probably see that anytime soon, y'all. But the fact is a prophet is someone who is telling you the word of God. Uh, we've got the Old Testament prophets. You know what they didn't have back then that we have today? The word of God. So if you say that you are a Christian and you go and you tell someone about the gospel message of Christ, you are telling them a prophecy. You are telling them about the word of God. Let's not be false prophets. We must have good, fruitful lives filled with the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the light. And I believe that we have to be fervent about it. A focused follower is not only forgiven, but he's forgiving, is most certainly fruitful, and also is fervent in faith. And what does fervent mean? Having or showing great warmth or intensity of spirit or feeling, or enthusiasm, hot, glowing, on fire for the Lord. And that's where this next guy is going to be. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Written in 1858 by George Duffield. Now you might be thinking, why is Dudley A. Tinge's name on there? He didn't write this. If, uh, that's on page 485. I'm sorry if you want to look that one up. This one you should look up. These words should make really a lot of sense to how this story goes. 
just as the last couple have. But you're only going to see George Duffield's name. He was the writer of the words, the composer of the music's names on there. Not talking about him today, but Dudley Tinge. Let me tell you about this guy, because this is who this song uh, was inspired by. He was an evangelist, a preacher. He was also a farmer in Pennsylvania. And in Philadelphia in 1858, he went to a meeting at the YMCA, and he preached to 5,000 young men that day from Exodus chapter 10, verse 11, go serve the Lord. And he preached it with intensity, and he, and he preached it uh, fervently. He, he preached it from the heart. And of those 5,000 men that day, they believe this is one of the most powerful sermons ever, scholars say, because 1,000 people gave their lives to Christ that day. That's a pretty good ratio, don't you think? 1,000 out of 5,000 people came down and said, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to go and serve the Lord. Well, after that, less than a week later, Dudley went home and was working on some of his farm equipment that involved a, a, a mule and uh, some gears. And he had gone out there just to kind of check on things in his nightshirt that early that morning and uh, got his arm stuck and nearly ripped off of his body. It would have to be amputated. And just a few days later, just a little over a week after this sermon, Dudley A. Tinge went to meet the Lord. And I think he was only like 30 years old, 35. After this accident, though, he didn't die right away. He had a couple days, and he had some dying words. Now, these are kind of debated on how this exactly went. Some say that he sent these words to the people at the YMCA that he'd been preaching to, and some say these were the words to his father, but either way, they're very, very similar. Uh, the words to his father were, please tell all my brothers in the ministry to stand up for Jesus. And the other part of the story where it says this is the message he sent to the, the folks at the Y, it said, Tell, tell them these last words, are my, these are my last words, let us all stand up for Jesus. How inspiring is that? Here this guy is with, with a bright future, and an accident happens. He has an arm injury. Look at the second verse. Look at the second verse. The arm of flesh. And yet he still says, let us all stand up for Jesus. Well, his good friend in the ministry, even though one was a Presbyterian and one was an Anglican, it didn't really matter. George Duffield goes into his, uh, his congregation that next Sunday morning, mourning the death of his friend. And he preaches from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. He says, stand your ground. He says, stand firm. He says, stand up for Jesus. That verse says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Folks, we got to have that kind of fervent faith every day of our lives. And that fervent faith is going to be fruitful and it's going to be forgiven and it's going to be forgiving because our foundation is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Stand firm. Don't miss those opportunities. At the end of Duffield's sermon, he read a poem. He read a poem. That poem is what we now know as the hymn, Stand Up. Stand up for Jesus. See, the fact is, when we're fervent Christians, we can't miss an opportunity to serve him. We must go and serve the Lord. We must go and represent him. And we must have the actions and the attitude and the behavior that matches up with that. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 17. This will be our last verse today. It says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtless, but understand what the Lord 
wants you to do. Folks, do you understand what the Lord wants you to do? He wants you to serve him. He wants you to be obedient. He wants you to be forgiven and forgiving. He wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to be fervent in your faith. He wants you to be a focused follower. So the final alliteration word we're going to use today in conclusion, that really a thing that we have that can help that fellowship. He wants you to have fellowship with your fellow believers. Or maybe we could say fellowship with your fellow faithful. Look, it takes a lot of work to find all these words with the same letters. I'm just saying How are we going to have fellowship? One of our favorite hymns here, Family of God. I'm not going to talk about the story of that one today. Uh, I think it's a Gaither song. The Family of God, what a resource that is. Now think about this. What a resource we are to each other. Now we know that. We know that. Don't take it lightly. Our church. What about this family of God, these resources, the preachers? I promise you, Scott and I, we, we will do everything we can to help you with your faith. We want to build relationships with you. Your elders. And you guys, we got good men here. We got six guys who I have full confidence in and trust because why? Because I counsel with them. That's what we should be doing. Here's a resource that you have. I promise you, these six elders, they make themselves available to you. They absolutely do. They are there for you to come and talk to them. They'll give you counsel. They will listen to your concerns. They will help you to see the scriptures. They will help you. Uh, they will encourage you. They will help lead you. They'll pray for you. They'll pray with you. That's why we got to make their job joyful. Use that resource. Don't hesitate to use that resource respectfully. I know I do. I promise you, there's a few of these guys that I call a, a lot whenever times get down or tough or aggravating. And if I don't call them, oftentimes they may just show up randomly when I need it most. Allow them to do that for you as well. This church family, man, we're blessed. We're blessed. Use your resources and study and prayer. And the list could really go on and on to what the family of God could mean for you. So in conclusion today, I ask, are you? Are you focused? Are you a focused follower of Jesus Christ? And to do that, this last song that we'll sing today, I Surrender All. To do that, I have to ask you, have you surrendered it all? Are you in a place where you can say, I surrender all? God, I surrender all. Go ahead and get that ready. I'm not going to put the screen back down. It's hymn number 275. It was written by Judson W. Van Deventer. 1855 to 1939. Listen to this guy's story. Raised a Christian, faithful in attendance to church. Folks, it takes more than just church attendance. I think we all know that. But he he was faithful. And musician, played the piano. One day he happened to be playing the piano at a revival. I believe it was in Ohio. In 1896. And this revival, this, this particular sermon that really touched his heart, talked about surrendering it all to Christ. Surrendering all where you'll be fruitful, where you'll be forgiving, where you'll have that fervent faith. And Judson realized on that day that even though he had been a follower, he hadn't been a focused follower. And at 40 years old, he humbled himself, and he realized that his focus was off. 
And it was on that day that he went home and wrote the words to, I surrender all, and decided that he himself was going to surrender it all to God. Not just the Sunday mornings, not just the typical stuff. But he wanted to go that extra mile. And that's exactly what he would do with the rest of his life. So I ask you today, whether you've been here your whole life, whether this is your first Sunday with us, I'm asking you the same question. A question that we all need to ask ourselves from time to time. Are you a focused follower? Have you surrendered it all to Christ? Would you please bow with me? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for your son Jesus and for giving us, affording us the chance to follow him. Help us, Lord, to imitate you in all we do, to follow his example and represent you with everything we do in our lives. Lord, help us to be fervent in our faith, to take it more seriously, to realize our responsibilities. Lord, we know that we fall short sometimes. Thank you so much for picking us up when we fall down. But Lord, we know that we could fall short less times if we could only surrender it all to you. Lord, to the best of our abilities and beyond, help us to do that just now. Lord, we thank you so very much for your son, Jesus. And in his most precious name we do pray. Amen.